0: this is Andrew Brewer. I'm with Northwest Area Health Education Center, Northwest AHEC, and this is the uh, Healthcare Insights Podcast, um, Healthcare Insights of Northwest North Carolina. And today's guest is uh, Victor Isler. He is the director of Forsyth County Social Services and has been in social work for many years. Um, And uh, I've asked him to join uh, me today to talk about all things social work and um, uh, things that are going on today and the challenges and the future and and, and all that kind of stuff. How are you today,
1: sir? Andrew, I'm, I'm doing great.
0: Well, I'm glad to have you. And, and we we struggled to get this scheduled, but we finally uh, got connected here virtually. And um, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on. Uh, so I, I, I just wanted to start out by saying, you know, uh, so we're cruising along in 2020, February, you know, you've got challenges with the DSS, which I want you to talk about. And then like March hits and COVID-19 and, and you know, just kind of riff on uh, how that affected things. What challenges did it change? What did it magnify? What did it help? Um, you know, I'm just going to let you go. Yeah,
1: yeah, so Andrew, definitely. Thanks for taking the time. To um, hear about the world of social services, particularly as it relates to um, Forsyth County. And, you know, since COVID 19, when it hit us around March, we have been extremely busy with trying to figure out how do we engage in this new business? Um, how do we make sure that um, we work diligently with the 700 plus citizens that come through our front door um, every day? Um, to receive some form of service or either support um, and how do we do that virtually? And so um, we had to be extremely creative. Um, I do want to say thank you to our county commissioners and our county manager's office, because they supported us with some great technology enhancements, particularly as it relates to um, economic services and our ability to provide that service provision. But also um, the state worked diligently as well for us to be able to have. A, a process to where um, our citizens could actually continue to um, engage in applying for services such as Medicaid and food and nutrition, um, formerly known as food stamps, um, electronically. And um, we really saw a big culture shift as it relates to how our citizens use what we call our EPAS system. And, and EPAS has always been um, in place. For several years, and what that does is it allows any citizen to actually um, create an application for food, nutrition services or either Medicaid. And of course, like with anything um, people tend to use what they need, um, but also they tend to kind of gravitate towards um, what is familiar to them. And what I will say is, is that um, our culture here in Forsyth County is that our citizens were really used to coming in and having that face-to-face interaction with our caseworkers to um, get approved or recertify for services. And so what, what I'm excited about is I think our community made a big paradigm shift and internally with our operations, we made a big paradigm shift at really leveraging our EPass electronic application process to make sure that we met the need. And so um, with that, we did have a substantial increase um, in applications, um, probably about an additional 1500 applications a month um, for the first kind of period um, of COVID. Um, And with that being said, we were responsive to make sure that we got those applications processed in a timely way. But yes, it it, it did hit us um, and we did, engage in a responsive way to our citizens. And so I think we're now over that hump and we're kind of operating in this new norm, still using EPASS. but yes, it, it was tr- quite a transition. Yeah, I can
0: imagine it's, it's been like that for a lot of departments and, and, and kind of go back before COVID and talk about what the, you know, what challenges um, there were in the county. Okay. Oh, can I get some audio? How's that? Are you hearing me now? Yes, yes, okay. okay, I'm not sure what happened. So I just back up, you know, pre-COVID, um, you know, what were the challenges of the social services department, not just in Forsyth County, maybe North Carolina? And, and if you could explain the difference between Forsyth County and, say, one of our mer- more rural counties in our northwest region, um, you know, what 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 do you hear from your colleagues? What, what were the challenges before and then after this paradigm shift and using the technology and and really reacting. It sounds like you responded Mm -hmm. well to that and leveraged the technology that was in place. Um, You know, what are the the growing challenges now that, you know, people are becoming used to using uh, uh, digital everything for telehealth and for application for services and stuff like that? What what are the real challenges now? I mean, you know, for, for your department, for the county, for the state?
1: Yes, so, so prior to COVID, um, actually, Andrew, um, it was automation and several years ago, we were really um, hit hard with the um, children family services review and with that child and family services review, um, that's a federal. Um, evaluation. And with that, we really um, were held accountable to look at our child welfare system and to make sure that we have some form of electronic record system that just did not represent um, itself in urban counties, but also in rural counties. And the federal review really held us accountable to look at how can we create a system that is universal for all 100 counties in our state um, and really push automation so then therefore we can use and leverage that technology to share that data across county lines to make sure that as families are transit um, that we can actually have immediate access to record and record information and also just important data and notifications so we can best support those families. Um, in their transitions to different cities and locales. And so with that being said, automation was really a big push and that system was was going to be in fast. And what you will notice is that probably about. Four years ago, there was a lot of conversation around the NC Fast system um, being our new form of automation and economic services, which once again issues your Medicaid and also your food and nutrition services, um, is in NC Fast. And what they try to do as a state is to transition that same automated system into a case management process for child welfare. And I will tell you that it has been a challenging road over the past two years at really trying to integrate that in. Some counties actually engaged as pilots, both rural and urban. And um, we were, as a directors association, able to advocate that this was not the system for us. Um, what we notice is, is that um, that system created a lot of loss in productivity. Uh, we noticed that there was a lot of turnover. And so to our healthcare professionals, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker and um, from time to time do some moonlighting in our local hospitals. I'm very familiar with the EPIC system and definitely um, whenever you look at a new electronic record health record system, um, it's it's a steep learning curve and no one is kind of like really thrilled to say, hey, this is what we want to do and let's roll out tomorrow. But everyone enters into it with, with apprehension. And what I would say with NC Fast and for Child Welfare, it was beyond a normal um n- normal fear or apprehension just due to general integration, but it was truly about some functionality. And so prior to COVID, we were having a lot of dialogue and a lot of advocacy with our legislators. And I'm pleased to say that um, despite all of the distractions of COVID, we have been able to move forward with our legislators to support us in looking at um, a re-evaluation plan on how we can have a better automated system um, for child welfare. And so that has really been keeping a lot of um, DSS directors and child welfare staff occupied um, prior to COVID. And we're getting ready to drum up a lot more energy now. We're rolling out, um, a new overlay, um, based on a new legislation that has passed. And so, you know, automation is, 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 is before us. And really, how do we as a Department of Social Services embrace that? And what I can say is that COVID has really pushed us to even look at that more.
0: Um, so just for those of us who don't know, I mean, can you explain like the user end of that? What does that look like? Is that a mobile app for phones or is that how is that accessed? And has it um, shown any uh, daylight on or, or made any revelations about the digital divide issue? That's always kind of been in the background of anything like and, and-
1: <laughs> So, yeah, you know, great question, and, and so definitely it is our desire that our social workers can take this um, automated system and to use it on their smartphones. Um, also, we want to make sure that you can, we can use it on laptops or either what we would call tablets as well. And so one of our biggest challenges with this automated system is that it was not universal as it relates to its application to be on smartphones. Um, tablets or either on um, other laptop devices, and, and, and we feel really locked. And if you look at all 100 counties, um, we do pers- purchase technology um, differently. Some have surface tablets. Some have laptops. Um, the other piece is we had to work through um, functionality as it relates to being able to access forms and complete documentation and, re- and to be able to retrieve um, signatures from parents. And we really wanted to, um, as DSS directors, deliver something to our social workers that will create an opportunity for them to really have efficiency. And when you look at an automated system that we have spent millions of dollars on, and we had glitches in the parent being able to provide an electronic signature to a safety plan, what that means is that we did not meet the mark. And and we needed to reevaluate. And so that's where we are but when, you know, you look at the digital divide, definitely um, for us, it comes with a lot of expectations. And um, as you know, our child welfare social workers are our unsung heroes and they are extremely busy out here in the field. And um, if we're going to do something via automation, we need to make sure that when it's all said and done, it it enhances their work
0: experience. Yeah. Um, since you brought in social workers and child welfare, um, With the schools being closed, I've heard stories that how important schools were were for identifying um, initial uh, potential child welfare issues. Um, And and with the schools being closed, um, how how has that changed, Um, I guess, identifying, reporting, substantiating, and all that kind of thing when it comes to-
1: So so, so there's a lot of research out there um, at the beginning of COVID. They really indicated that there will be a great deal of concern about chronic abuse um, or either severe abuse um, physically, um, emotionally, and potentially also sexually um, for minors um, nationally. Because you're right, Andrew, um, when you look at the data in Forsyth County and also just nationally, um, your school system runs neck and neck as the top reporter along with law enforcement. And so, when you look at um, the 7 B statute in for the state of North Carolina, as it relates to mandated reporting any individual 18 um, age, 18 or above, um, we are mandated reporters. If we see abuse and neglect, um, and it's our responsibility to report that. And so um, I am, I'm pleased to say that our school system works in great partnership with us. And we have a great um, working relationship with our school social workers, and they understand abuse and neglect extremely well. They know the indicators and yes, um, they were neck and neck with law enforcement as it relates to being our top two um, referrals um, within our CPS hotline. And so when COVID hit and children were no longer in school, um, you saw a decline um, actually in our um, reports that we received. However, what we are noticing now is, is that um, due to the, the time at home um, and, and what we can say that, that kind of space to where families are more encapsulated and in close quarters. And unfortunately, um, we, we have to acknowledge that um, being at home is not a pleasurable experience for every child. And so we are seeing more severe cases um, of physical abuse and, and also neglect. Um, and that is showing up in our calls as it relates to, um, interpersonal violence and in DV, um, via law with, with law enforcement. But then also, Andrew, that's showing up also in our, um, ERs and, 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 we're really looking at more severe cases. And, and what you have to recognize is, is that when you look at the compound nature of potentially, um, family stress due to COVID, um, when you look at, um, that being associated with, um Ongoing supervision and engagement and, and parents not having um, a, a, a outlet to have support as it relates to supervision and parenting and then um, going into this, any potential inappropriate um, parental disciplinary practices, all that then snowballs into uh, potential higher risk um, for um, instances of physical abuse or um, inappropriate discipline and so um, unfortunately, um, nationally, we are seeing more of an increase with that, um, and, and we acknowledge it, and, and we are being responsive um, to those cases as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, how how has all this affected the, the, the workers out in the field? Um, you know, what what kinds of things, have, challenges have they faced, and, and new work? Uh, what's their new What's their new normal? I guess. Yeah. So. so. Out the field all that kind of.
1: Yeah, so so, so they're, they're new normal, um, and I, I I use this word um, to to clarify, and 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 I and I don't want to um, step out of pocket with it, but it's important to understand that our adult protective services workers, as well as our um, CPS workers, they're they they they're first responders, and so Andrew, what I would say is we're on twenty four seven, and so our hotline. Um, which is 703 abuse or 703 2287. Um, that, that phone number is active and there's someone waiting to take a call, um, 24 seven. And so since COVID, um, they have been required, um, per our state statute to respond, um, uh, within, um, an immediate status uh 24 hour status or a 72 re, um, status response time to families where we do accept those reports for any issues of ne- neglect abuse, use of dependency. And so they have been going out as I stated earlier. They are our unsung hero- heroes. Um, we have um, trained them to utilize PPE equipment. Um, there are some policies that allow us to um, engage differently with families. And evaluate homes differently to make sure that um, our staff can be protected as well. Um, we do have screening protocols that families in partnership need to attest um, to to make sure that we can have the needed precautions when we don't when we go and visit. Um, but they are still carrying out their statutory obligation to make sure that children are protected.
0: That's great. Um, you mentioned turnover um, as related to the, you know, the electronic system. and. The- to that um, how 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 is turnover in in that field for those unsung frontline workers? How, how is that going? I mean, are are they under additional stress? Are they you know handling it uh, you know with with resilience? And what is what is the challenges from a workforce standpoint?
1: So 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 I'm pleased to announce that um, as an agency, uh, when I first came on board, we were floating around a probably 13% um, vacancy rate. I can tell you that going into um, COVID and at the beginning of this calendar year, January 2020, our vacancy rate was floating around five to six percent. And so um, people are staying um, and they're enjoying this profession. We have done a lot of work at making sure that one, um, we engage with staff um, and number two is is that we really focus on what we do well, which, which is carrying out our mission and vision and really rallying around that. Um, but then number 3 is understanding that we are a trauma informed agency and employer and child welfare has done an excellent job at understanding trauma informed care as it relates to how we screen for it with our um, cases and for our families and children. But even more, so um, how do we engage in self care practice and engage in a level of awareness around what we need and um, i'm pleased to say that we were able to work with our county manager's office about two years ago to actually expand our chaplaincy service budget um, which is in support through wake forest baptist medical center to where uh, we can have debrief sessions and and support from our chaplaincy um, service providers um, for our social workers when they're experiencing any kind of um, compassion fatigue burnout or um, just have um, in a situation to where they're on overload as it relates to what um, tra- situation or circumstances that they have um, been in. And so um, collectively, I'm pleased to say that um, we have done an excellent job. Andrew with um, retaining our child welfare social workers um, better than what we had historically. And so our, our turnover has not been um, um, terrible. Um, we are teleworking as well, and so I think a lot of our child welfare professionals across the state are doing that. And I think they're really trying to evaluate um, what the landscape is going to look like moving forward um, for them. And so, um, of course, telework is something new for us as an agency. Um, and, and I think that they are embracing that, um, that, that, that new work life balance. And, and, and I think that that can be um, an employer incentive as well.
0: That's that's great. I know it is a tough job and it's great to hear that you're doing uh compassion fatigue and, and prevention and things like that. We have a several compassion fatigue programs at Northwest Health too. So I know it's <laughs> it's in every sector of healthcare, I believe, and, and human services. Um what uh what what um, types of challenges do you see and training needs uh do you see in the in the future workforce in, in this field? Um,
1: Well, well, so definitely, um, you know, that our legislators has um, created a platform for us to move into Medicaid transformation Um, and it's the state's desire that I want to say by um, July of 2021 that um, we will have a statewide rollout with transformation. And for us, that is going to mean that we do business in a different way. Um, Of course, the Department of Social Services in every county. Is the entity that actually determines the eligibility um, for for citizen around Medicaid, but also uh, we are prepared um, in all 100 counties to also be a, a place of education around the privatization. And what does that look like as it relates to care coordination and case management support in the education and just a full um, portfolio of what it means to engage in transformation? And, and Andrew, this is not um, expansion. This is transformation. And, and how do we, from a, how do we incorporate care management um, into um, the Medicaid recipient experience? Um, And and so that is going to be a new way of doing business for us. Um, Typically, we can be extremely automated, meaning that we go through an eligibility process. You answer these questions. You approve yes or no. However, um, our citizens are now going to have to make a decision as it relates to um, what um, prepaid health plan or provider they want to choose. And some of that may be based on um, their existing health condition. Um, their, their, their care and health interests, um, and then also what bundles as it relates to care management and coordination that some of these PHPs may have. And so we are really working on looking at whole person care and, and how, do we under, how do we create the space to say, yes, you're here to determine eligibility, but how do we take the time to say, um, what are your needs in some of your key life domains? Um how do we evaluate for interpersonal domestic violence? How do we um, assess your needs around transportation, um, employment, education, and and, and and vocational supports as well, um, and, and help you just overall navigate life, which is the, the the premise when you look at Medicaid transformation to really say that at this point in time, the social determinants of health um, must be addressed um, in the healthcare experience. And, and what I know is, is that I would like for DSS to be um, the initiator um, or a partner in that conversation um, with our Medicaid recipients because we're actually the first step and we need to make sure that we show them what whole person care is because that's the experience that they're going to get once eligible and once they prescribe and engage with their PHP. Yeah, that's
0: yeah. great. It's good to hear. It sounds like a holistic approach to bring wellness not just sick care. Yes. Uh, into the environment. Um uh, just circling back, you mentioned uh nutrition um what would you call it? Um food nutrition, I guess.
1: Yes, food nutrition services, yes.
0: Yeah, and, and is there uh is there an education piece that comes with that?
1: So there there is not. There isn't an education piece that comes that comes with food nutrition services now with our WIC program which is um, issued as a service through our public health department, um, and that's women, infants and children. Um, and that's a support um, for mothers um, with um, infants and also children to help um, provide nutritious meals and services. Um, what I would say is there is a, a nutritional component to that um, service provision. However, with food and nutrition services, no, um, there isn't a, a state requirement to provide education.
0: Okay, do you see anything like that coming down? Um, in the future, I mean, it just seems like it would it would make sense to, to pack on or, or to include uh, some sort of basic nutritional uh, education around that because we we get mixed, you know, our society's full of mixed messages when it comes mm-hmm. to what we eat and what what sustains us to keep us healthy, and it, it just seems like it'd be a good place to add on and not not to increase the workload for you all, but yeah, uh, yeah, to, to create a holistic. For the
1: client. So, so what I will say is right now in Forsyth County, there's around 27,000 um, case heads that, that represent um, active food nutrition services cases. Um, due to the need to recertify and the frequency of that, um, I do think education is important. What I will say, Andrew, I, I will punt some to say that, that we are good at eligibility determination and and to evaluate what the needs are and to refer out. Um, And I'm excited that when you look at Medicaid transformation and what our PHPs will do, you will notice that in their, what I would call a Rolodex of resources um, and supports for the Medicaid um, recipient, you are going to notice that um, they will have those cooking and educational programs associated with care management and coordination because it ties back to the social determinants of health and just overall whole person care. And, and, and so for me, Andrew, I, I would say, yes, I'm a social worker and I, I love to help, but I also have to know the capacity of my lift. And, and, and I'm excited about our PHPs actually being able to offer those type of classes and programs. Um, for those that are that are, that are involved in in transfer Medicaid transformation, it, it's, it's going to be different. It's, and like you said, it, it, it's going to be more um, proactive in well care versus um, response care.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think that's good for society overall. I mean, we 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 are. It seems like we're making moves to increase the overall wellness of of the population, mm-hmm. and with that comes. You know, culinary medicine, medicine as you know food is medicine, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. healthy lifestyle lifestyle uh, modification, all that kind of stuff so it's, and,
1: and, and you know andrew it's, it's it's amazing what relationship and accountability can do. Um, and and when I say accountability meaning supportive accountability, um me and my wife and I we engaged in a a weight loss program um, and it's amazing how when you look at, working with a dietitian and and, and, and a coach, and also looking at consulting with a medical professional, what what gains you can make in understanding um, food um, and choices, and and to really receive the support around um, the behavior change that that is needed. But also, as you highlighted earlier, the education component of, of, of being able to make that change is, is sometimes beyond just picking up a book, but it but it's through relationship and sharing and 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 engaging in thoughts and brainstorming together. And so definitely um that is a powerful experience. And, and I'm pleased to say that um since March I'm down like 33 pounds. And um it, it is due to education and, and also support um and, and engaging it in a in a routine way. And so imagine what that will look like. For 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 those that are eligible or engaged in in a health plan, regardless of of what it is, whether it's private or either or either Medicaid, that that we can receive that type of coaching um and support to help us meet um, whatever our health goals are.
0: Yeah, I, I hope that this crazy period, these unprecedented times, that we yes, and has has made just anybody at home, reevaluate what's important. And I think when we look at health and we're so concerned with our health and our, you know, not getting sick, and hopefully that translated into, you know, what am I doing? What are my choices to mm-hmm. make me more resilient and resistant to things, as like mm-hmm. viruses and, and whatnot, but also, you know, what are the things I can do just to make my life, my well-being uh, healthier? Mm-hmm. and allow me to, to reach my potential as a human uh, more, have more energy to do those things. And, and mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned social determinants of health and how important that is um, to for all of us uh, to, to know that the level, the playing field is not level and how we can support each other and provide resources and accountability to lift everyone up. And, I, you know, I just think that that's a message of, of, Hope there that that through these times that we've seen ways in which we can better. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on your your health.
1: Yes, service. yeah, and, and and it was truly around me, Andrew, um, taking on what I would say a a a well care perspective, right? And in that, um, I want to engage in some form of a of, of a of a weight loss service that um, one is not a. Do this for nine weeks and things are going to be amazing, but uh, have some long term goals and some long term commitments and to make that lifestyle change. But it required for me to adopt what you said earlier, which is truly that kind of well care mentality that I can touch bases with a professional on a continuum to coach and to develop me through this process. Um, and we have to acknowledge that it's not a one and done experience that you come and you sit down in front of a professional and and you get all the information and then you're on your way. But the behavior change takes um, ongoing education and development and support um, that, that is sometimes beyond yourself. And so um, when we look at Medicaid transformation, the care coordination piece with this, I think we'll have an opportunity for um, our Medicaid recipients to have more touch bases. Uh, with medical and helping professionals um to advance them beyond just sick care or either medically i am in this i'm in this crisis and i need to respond to it so i'm i'm really excited about that um because i know the benefits from that personally yeah
0: that's great i mean you you'd know, be able to create a testimonial of your own it, yeah you know, it definitely is um so if you had a magic wand and all the money in the world but how would you solve the problem of, 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 of all the things that social services uh, help handle?
1: <laughs> um, if, if I had a magical wand, the, the Kimberg question um, and th- th- that comes from one of our um, great theorists in social work. She and um, Sue Kimberg believed in, in the miracle question and, and definitely um, it, it poses thought. Right. And, and, and I think if, If I could wave a magical wand, I would really um, wish that um, we could have an opportunity as a community to really understand resiliency from um, an individual um, behavior based perspective, but also a community based perspective. Um, When you look at um, resilient individuals, when you look at trauma informed care, when you look at adverse childhood experiences, um, historically, we have done a lot of work around from from a human service perspective, working with the individual, whether it's in therapy, um, looking at setting goals. What can you do different? How do you go out and teach you how to fish to navigate um, your your community or either your your ecosystem and your environment? What research has shown us from a social work and also public health perspective is, is that we we have to focus on the both end and the both end is the individual behavior um, accountability perspective and change. But also, how do we look at our ecosystem and our community? Um, And so, how do you look at how people grow and thrive and tap into resources within their community? And, and what we have to acknowledge is, is that um, there's work for us to do to make sure that we do have rich um, experiences and resources for people to grow and thrive. Um, and, and when we start talking about thriving, meaning um, access to, to food and, and, and to look at how we have the availability of food to, to manage our food insecurity and our food desert um, data. Um, how do we make sure that from a community, we have a thriving network so we can address um, our, our education deficits and the inequity of that and and, and looking at academic achievement um, for all um, in, in a consistent way that we all can be educated and thrive. And, of course, we talked about the social determinants of health and how that then connects back to health outcomes. Um, and then also, how do we look at um, making sure that. We can be transient and, and move within our community, and that we have a, a robust and thriving um, transportation system, so people can tap into different resources, or either engage in different experiences, or or engage in different um, with different employers um, throughout our community. Um, no matter what shift it is, whether it's first, second, or third, um, or the locale when it's in some of our rural outlays. Um, and then, last but not least. Um, really looking at um, our ecosystem and, and understanding that um, our workforce development component is critical that we have to have diverse work opportunities um, within our community to make sure that all people, whether um, it's the PhD, um, the, the, the master's level bachelor's level or those is just as skilled and, and skilled in with a trade can have opportunity to engage in employment. Um, to to meet the lifestyle needs that's desired for them. And so, you know, that's my wish. I know that's a really big bucket. But the reality is, is that um, when you look at the Department of social services and you look at helping the individual, um, you run into all those intersections as it relates to alleviating those barriers for our citizens. So they can thrive. And um and so my wish is that we can collectively acknowledge it. It's a both then. It's, it's about building um, a resilient community where people can tap and plug and play into resources um, in those diverse entities that are referenced to thrive, but then also how do we have supports that individuals can receive to go and look at that behavior change and receive that support and, and, and engage in some level of motivation or inspiration um, based on what their individual needs are. And so it's focusing on the individual, but then also the community.
0: Well, I think think you said it really well. Um, And and to summarize, I would say, you know, individual responsibility and recognizing your part to play in it and Mm -hmm. how you can build resilience in and of yourself, combined with supportive community, with services and infrastructure that can help you uh, both uh, find and realize your purpose and being occupied. Creating, helping, giving back, however that is, helps you feel connected into the community and just creates mm. that holistic view mm. of every human individual to reach their potential. So I, 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 I love it.
1: Awesome. Well, that's my wish.
0: <laughs> well, great. Well, tell us uh, one thing. Um, you know, what's on your book? Diet, what's on your bedside table? You're reading, or what are your hobbies? <laughs> you uh, sane and not getting some fatigue. Tell us something oh.
1: So, so actually, was talking about resilience. I am reading a, a really good book called Type R, and Type R is by Alma and also Stephanie Markson. Um It's a mother and daughter team. Um, the mother is a psychotherapist, and the daughter is a leadership consultant and um, both of them engaged in some really challenging um, physical um, barriers due to just kind of some random incidents. Um, and they wrote this book around type R and, and what type R um, discusses is, is, is an acknowledgement that whenever we experience adversity um, and we have to engage in complex um, change, that, um, oftentimes when we focus on resiliency, we think about the true definition of it, which is the ability to, to bounce back, right? Your, your elasticity and, and your buoyancy. And so what, what Alma and Stephanie really recognizes, um, Andrew is, is that sometimes the goal and, and what really shows true leaderships leadership in such a tr- turbulent time um, that we're experiencing nationally and also globally is, is that true leaders don't necessarily focus on bouncing back. But how do they bounce from and bounce to um, the new platform that they must grow and thrive in and what they recognize is in their own adverse experiences that what they wanted to ba- bounce back to. Um, they could no longer grow and thrive in because of limitations physically, and they had to figure out what to bounce, um, what what to bounce to or bounce from, so then therefore they can create a new space um, for their ability to thrive and to lead. And so I really think that that is extremely insightful because oftentimes um, it's innate that we really try to go back to um, what existed prior to, and and it's just kind of like we we're talking about with COVID. You know, we have entered into this space of, of virtual engagement. And um I really think that yes, there's a strong desire to bounce back to um or to to what it used to be, but actually we we need to move and continue to and embrace this 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 virtual platform because um I, I don't think that we're gonna go back to what the original norm was. Um and, and I really think that this is gonna be our new normal. And what's going to um, separate those that lead or, or those that follow is those that understand that, um, yes, I can engage in the past, but this this future and this new way, um, I need to bounce to it and I, I need
0: to figure out how to play in it. Yeah, I think that's right. It's, it's been a uh, very uh, forced transition to telehealth and, and all, a lot of e-services and stuff. And I think that um, connecting communications, doing work, uh, all those things have really, you know, those 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 people who embrace that are going to do well. Um, I I do hope um, and, and hopeful about getting back to social connection. Yes. I,
1: I really, <laughs> we want to bounce back to that, right? I,
0: I recall <laughs> for social distance, and I love what the wives are They're going you know, socially connected, physically different. So once, once we get uh, out of the germaphobe stage and hug and, and hugging, take hands and stuff, I, I really think that's so important for a healthy society is to be able to, to you know, socially connect and also physically touch. And, and I'm a physical, I like to hug and take hands and stuff.
1: Yeah, likewise, I, I'm suffering from that as well. And so I do want to bounce back to that. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, I often ride past the YMCA and, I, and I'm actually pleased at what they have been able to bounce to. Um, and what they bounced to was to be able to do workouts um, outside, and so I actually I'm really pleased to see um, our citizens and those members um, outside working out in the parking lot, and and they have been able to adapt, and and so to me that that's what Type R is all about. How how can you be resilient and and create a, a, a new platter to eat from, or, or or a new ecosystem to thrive in, and uh, we have to continue to do that.
0: Yeah, that's right. I, I I shed my ten COVID pounds from April in May when they started uh, doing the outdoor exercise classes. So I was I was a benefactor of, of that as
1: well. So awesome, I, awesome. I really appreciated that. Um, well, I, I'm a board member, so I was pleased to see the the level of adaptation and and just how they innovated. staying Law on the team is 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 great. They're doing a good, yeah. uh,
0: yeah well, uh hey, I appreciate your time. Tell us how uh people can find for site d s s and 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 any other ways to connect with you
1: well, Andrew, likewise, and um, I look forward to doing this doing this again um it has been a great opportunity to kind of share what we're doing um, I just do want to say thank you to um the five hundred staff that are at the department of social services. Um, they are doing a wonderful job, making sure that we protect the most vulnerable and also support individuals um, in a time of um, economic crisis. And, and I do say, thank you. We, we, we will not be who we are without um, each and every 1 of you. And so um, every time I get a platform, I do want to publicly say, thank you to each of them. They do. I'm part of an awesome team.
0: That's great. Thank you for your time. Victor Isler.
1: Once again, All right.
0: so to do this.
1: All right. Thank you, Andrew.